This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Before we go to His Word, Heavenly Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for the gift of being able to gather like this whenever we want, that, that talking about You and praising You and worshiping You is, is something we do without fear of persecution or suffering or penalty. Father, we thank You for that gift. I pray, Lord, that You would grow our understanding of that grace. Father, I thank you this morning, especially for your word, the way you use it to grow us and change us and shape us. And as you always do, Lord, I pray that this morning you would grow our understanding of your word, grow our perspective of your plan and your calling on our lives. And do this, Lord, by showing us a, a greater Savior growing our appreciation for our Lord. Father, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. We're going to be continuing our study in the Psalms of Ascent in Psalm 127. If you want to start heading there in your Bibles, it is officially the middle of the 14 Psalms of Ascent. As many of you know, I, I spent quite a while in the home building industry. And an interesting thing about home building, I think, is how many different people are, are involved in completing a project. There's the dirt guys and the concrete guys and the framers and the roofers and the plumbers and the electricians and so on and so on. But all of them are united by a, by a single plan. All their work is united by a single plan. But imagine I showed up on a job site one day. And the plumber had bolted a toilet to the floor in the middle of the living room. Of course, I might start off by asking what he was smoking. I'm being quite honest. But what if his answer to me was, was nothing? I, I just think that's where the toilet should go. I think that's a better place for it. That's where I would want it. Well, that's not how things work, is it? Because the owner of the house has already decided where they want things to go, and I don't need to look at the plans to know they don't want a toilet in the middle of their living room. However, don't we do exactly that sometimes, spiritually speaking? God has a plan. He, he has a way, a, a a command of uh, how he wants our lives to go, how he wants things to be. But don't we sometimes bolt toilets to the middle of the living room floor, spiritually speaking, because that's how, where we think they should go? And then how much time and energy do we spend guarding those things? so that they can't be changed, so that no one can take them away. Well, this morning, Solomon opens up Psalm 127, a psalm I'm sure you're familiar with. He opens up in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. In other words, this morning, 
Solomon wants to remind us that we must live as instruments for the Lord's work. That we must live as instruments for the Lord's work. With that in mind, look again at at verse 1, where Solomon tells us that first, we must live as instruments that the Lord uses to build and watch His house. We must live as instruments the Lord uses to build and watch His house. Solomon says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, the first thing I want you to notice in those two verses is that even though Solomon says the Lord must do the building and the watching, that doesn't mean that we're not doing anything. No, according to Solomon, even though the Lord is the builder, we're building. And he says, even though the Lord must do the watching, we're still watching. Because the point Solomon is making is that we must be the instrument that the Lord uses to do His building and His watching. He's the one planning and directing and managing the work so that our houses look like He wants them to, not like we want them to. What does that actually look like? Because clearly we're not talking about sticks and bricks and windows and things like that. What does a home built by the Lord actually look like? Well, like any physical builder, every builder has a recognizable style, a unique style. I mean, I could still drive through Albuquerque today and point out to you, those are artistic homes, those are Pulte homes, those are Horton homes. I could point out the styles of the different homes And just like physical builders have a unique style, so does the Lord. Meaning, even though you can't necessarily go online and buy a set of plans where it says under the architect, the Lord, the Lord's homes are still identifiable. They still have a look and a feel. They have a style that's recognizable. So the simplest question we need to ask ourselves is, do our homes look like Yahweh homes? Can passers-by, as it were, tell that our homes have been built by the Lord? And I'm not talking about how many Hobby Lobby signs you got hanging or Jesus portraits. Not talking about that. I mean, do the conversations you're cultivating in your home sound like conversations in the Lord's house? Do the things given priority in your home line up with the Lord's? Does your home have the same flavor as, say, Joshua's did when he said in Joshua chapter 24, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That home had a flavor. Are you living as an instrument for the Lord to build his house? And the same question applies to what we're watching when it comes to our homes. And that word watches in the middle of verse 2, it literally means guards or, or protects. Unless the Lord guards the city, your translation might say. So are you guarding the things the Lord wants you to guard? Do you spend more time guarding your stuff or your tongue? Do you put more effort into guarding and cleaning and maintaining your toys or your heart? Are you guarding the things the Lord wants guarded? 
Or are you guarding the toilets you've bolted to the floor? Because look again at what Solomon says in verse 2. He says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go, to late, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Meaning if you're building and guarding things that aren't what the Lord wants you to, all your effort that you put into it, which is usually followed by, by anxious sleep or no sleep, all of that effort is just a waste of time. But the Lord wants to give rest to His people. He wants to give sleep to His people. He wants us to have the freedom to rest because we have followed we have allowed ourselves to, to, to be used as His instruments in His plan. And we trust that He will guard what He's used us to build. He wants us to trust that when we're in His will, when we're doing what He wants us to, what we're building has purpose. He wants us to trust that. And He wants us to trust that He will guard the work that we've done for Him. We must live as instruments the Lord uses to build and watch His house. That's the first thing. But look at verses 3 through 5, because it's not just about the dwelling, it's also about those who are in the dwelling. Meaning, not only must we live as instruments uh, the Lord uses to build and watch His house, but we also must live as instruments the Lord uses to raise His children. We must live as instruments the Lord uses to raise His children. Look at verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, it's important to understand that word heritage in verse 3. Or your, your translation might even say gift. Because the root word of that word heritage is actually possession. It's usually translated as inheritance in the Old Testament. Like a father would leave his sons a, a, an inheritance of his stuff, of his possession. Now, it's important to understand that because it leads to two principles I want you guys to understand in these three verses. Two principles. The first principle is this. Listen carefully. Your children are not yours. Your children are not yours. They are a heritage from Him, from the Lord, meaning they belong to Him first, and He gave them to you. They belong to God, and He has given them to you, or, as we'll see later, He's actually loaned them to you, if you want to look at it more literally. Why? Why is God giving us someone that belongs to Him? Well, because He wants to use us as instruments to raise His children. Now, if you want to ask the question, why would He use us to raise His children, don't ask me. That's something you're going to have to ask Him when He sees you. But that leads us to the, to the big question these three verses want us to ask. Are you raising and training God's children the way He wants His children raised? Not the way you want, the way He wants. Are you stewarding His possession that He's given you the way He wants you to? That's the question. How do we know? How do we know if we're doing that based on this passage? Well, Solomon says in verse 4 and 5 that our children like arrows. 
which means in the simplest form, raising them the way God wants is raising them to leave. Are you raising your children so they won't depend on you forever? Are you raising your children so that, that they can be on their own? Now, we don't use arrows very much anymore, so instead of arrows, maybe think of something like a guided missile. Same thing, 21st century. But I say that, like, what direction are you programming into your children? What coordinates are you dialing into them to pursue? Because God wants to use you and as an instrument to raise His children, to leave, to give back to Him. So, so are you coordinating, are you, are you dialing in Him so that when they do leave, He is who they are aimed at? Not wealth, not anything else. So where does he want us to aim them, if that's the case? What does he want his children to know? Well, without reviewing the whole Bible, let me just give you a couple of thoughts. First, bottom line, take away all the manners and all the traditions and all of the little things that, that are unique to your style of parenting. Strip all that away. Strip parenting down to its bare bones are you teaching God's children the difference between right and wrong and therefore their need for Jesus? That's Christian parenting at its core. Are you teaching your children right and wrong and therefore their need for Jesus? That's Christian parenting at its simplest. But also, while you're doing that, are you remembering your place in their life? Meaning, if you're the instrument God is using to raise His kids, then do you require them to listen to you like, like, like you want them to listen to God? Do you require your children to obey you like they should obey God? If you're the instrument that He is using, do you require your children to honor you like they should honor God? Or to say it another way, would the Lord be okay with the children He loaned to you? Would the Lord be okay with those children listening and obeying and speaking to Him the way you allow them to honor and speak to you? Would the Lord be okay with, with the way you allow your children to treat you? Would He be okay with them treating Him if we are the instruments for them? And I want to be careful here because I'll be the first person to say none of my kids treated me the way I want them to treat God. Shoot, I don't even respond to God the way I want to. So the point is not perfection, which leads to the second principle I want you to see in this passage, and that principle is this. You, as an instrument God is using to raise His children, are called to obedience and not results. You are called to obedience and not results because they are His children. God wants you to do the work that He has called you to but, but when you, let's say this differently, how those arrows respond after you loose the bow is between them and God. When you send them back to God after your work as an instrument is concluded, their response to Him is between them and God. And trust me when I say this, friends, that is a faith that is hard learned. 
while at the same time what lies within that hard-earned faith is the rest that Solomon spoke of in verse 2. It's the rest of, as Marvin said this morning, abiding in the Lord, trusting Him, giving Him back what is His. We simply must be submissive instruments for the Lord to use to raise His children. So there you go. That's Psalm 127 in a nutshell. I know you guys are familiar with this psalm. We must be instruments that depend on the Lord to do His work in our homes and His work with our kids. That's Psalm 127. However, while everything I just said is true and right, there's a couple of problems with that. And I would call them big ones. I wonder if you've caught on to it. I wonder if you know what I'm talking about. Because you see, that's as far as, as most people ever take this passage. We need to make sure we're working alongside the Lord to, to build our house and, and raise our kids. That's about as far as anyone takes this passage. And, and you can find other teachings on this. That's, I'm not saying that, but you're going to have to work hard to find them where somebody doesn't just stop there. Oh, yeah, and Jesus loves you. Let's sing. Do you see the issue? Well, one problem is this. There are plenty of strong Christians who don't have children for one reason or another. So what does that mean? Are they not blessed? Does God not love them? According to verse 5, should they be ashamed? Should we just go full Old Testament on them and ask them which one sinned? Or is there something else going on here? But that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is this. In Luke chapter 24 and John chapter 5, Jesus said that the whole Old Testament was talking about Him. And then in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said He came not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Meaning Jesus said, listen, Jesus said He came to fulfill Psalm 127. Jesus said that He came to fulfill Psalm 127, to do it perfectly. So is Jesus wrong? Did, did he forget about Psalm 127 when he said that? Because here's the thing, Jesus didn't have a home. In Matthew chapter 8, a scribe said he wanted to follow him, and Jesus warned him. He says, I don't have a place to live. When Jesus wasn't sleeping outside, he was bunking with somebody else. And despite whatever newly discovered weirdo gospel pops up, Jesus never had kids. Jesus never had children. So what does, what does that mean? Have we found the one passage in Scripture that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus? Or is there something else going on here? Are we missing something? Well, you know what I think the answer is. I think we're missing something. Because, you see, when it comes to interpreting Scripture, 
there's a principle that is very important. Scripture is very clear that the Old Testament is it's incomplete. It's unfinished without Jesus. Meaning Jesus is the key you need to understand the Old Testament. Which means, here's the principle, we must use the New Testament to rightly interpret the Old Testament. We must use the New Testament to rightly interpret the Old Testament, which means we need to interpret this psalm not based on itself, but what it says in light of Christ. So what does that look like? Well, earlier I said that Jesus never built a house, but that's not entirely correct, is it? You see, it's true that Jesus never had a home address in Judah. But in Ephesians chapter 2, after explaining that, that God had brought us near to Him through the blood of Jesus, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, because we've been brought near, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That sure sounds like a construction site to me. Meaning, Jesus was actually building a house. But not only was Jesus building a house, in John chapter 13 is just one of many examples. After Jesus had washed the feet of his disciples, he said, My dear children, I will not be with you much longer. And not only Jesus, but Paul and John frequently called their, their followers their children. In other words, according to the New Testament, Jesus was building a house and he did have children, just not in the way we think of it. So do we need to change or does Jesus need to be clearer with his words? Do we need to shift our perspective to match his or should he say it differently to match ours? Here's the point. Rather than taking Psalm 127 for what lies only on the surface, we need to interpret it according to how Jesus fulfilled it. Which means this, brothers and sisters, Psalm 127 is talking about your house and your kids. Don't get me wrong. It is talking about your house and your kids. It is talking about the roof under which you live and the moochers that live there with you. It is talking about that. But according to Jesus... Psalm 127 is about so much more. And that's what I want you to see. Our perspective is too small. Listen, let's just look briefly again at these two sections through the lens of Jesus. Meaning, verse 1 and 2 are talking about building a house, but Jesus seemed to think that house was much larger than the house we think of. Jesus thought it was a spiritual house made out of people. 
So if the house Jesus thought this psalm was referring to is a spiritual house, then that's the house we need to be focused on building as well. In other words, the house we must join the Lord in building in Psalm 127 is a dwelling that's being constructed out of souls who believe in God. That's the home that Jesus fulfilled. Meaning, in other words, we must live as instruments, listen, the Lord uses to build and watch His house. Not just our own. Brothers and sisters, you have been adopted into the Lord's family-run construction company by the blood of Jesus. And let me tell you, business is good. Because that house that, that you and I have been adopted into through the blood of Jesus is still growing. And He wants to use you as an instrument to build it, to build His kingdom. He wants to use you to make additions to that home. He wants to have many rooms and He wants to use us to, to build them. And not only does He want to make additions to this home, He wants to do some remodeling too. He wants to reshape and transform you and I into better living spaces. And just like this psalm says, He wants to use you and I as the instruments for that work. He wants you and I to move some walls as it were by speaking the truth in love. He wants you and I to hang some sheetrock by washing our wives and our families with the Word, and He wants you and I to do some painting by teaching and reproving and correcting and training each other in righteousness through His Word. And look how seamlessly this psalm flows if we look at it through the perspective of Jesus. If the home God is building if the home He's using us as instruments to build is made of people, then look at verses 3 through 5. Because just like the house, there's far more to the children than we usually think of. Listen, your children, your progeny, they are a heritage from the Lord. Don't get me wrong. They are a gift and a blessing from the Lord, but... Psalm 127 is about a much greater heritage when we look at it through the eyes of Christ. Again, we have to look at this the way the New Testament was. For example, one of the biggest mistakes that the Jews made was thinking they were God's children because they shared the same blood as Abraham. It's one of the biggest mistakes that they made. But the New Testament is very clear that, that it was not those who shared Abraham's blood who were Israel, but those who shared Abraham's faith, who were his true children, who were the true Israel. And don't get me wrong, there were still blessings for people who shared Abraham's blood. But the New Testament is very clear that the true children of Abraham, the true children of God, were those who shared his faith, not his blood. So your children, listen. Those who share your blood are, they are a gift and a heritage from the Lord. But listen, in the light of Christ, Psalm 127 is talking about a much greater heritage, a much greater blessing. 
your spiritual children. Children who through you share not your blood, but your faith in Jesus Christ. And certainly we hope all of those who share our blood will will eventually share our faith. We hope that. But just like Israel, listen, it is those who share our faith who are our true children, not those who share our blood. Which means this, listen, each and every one of you have like about 10,000 kids in this church. Not just the ones sitting next to you. Do you view them like that? Do you, do you view all the short people in here as your spiritual children who need your care and your love and, and even your correction sometimes? When you think about this psalm that way, think about the command in the Old Testament to be fruitful and multiply. Some of you got the physical part of that down real pat. But not very many of us have the spiritual part down so good. Now let me say again, just to be clear, your children who share your blood, they are a great gift from the Lord. They are a great heritage from the Lord. But according to Jesus, the children who share our faith are the true gift and the true heritage Solomon is speaking of in Psalm 127. My point is this. I want Jesus Christ to explode your perspective of this psalm. I want Jesus to take you out of the kiddie pool of Psalm 127 and show you the ocean of Psalm 127. The ocean where our lives and our faith are not so compartmentalized. Where the house the Lord needs to build and the kids that I have, they're these kids and this house that I live under and this tiny little thing. No, we we have our homes and we have our children, and unless the Lord builds that house, absolutely we labor in vain. That is true, but it's small. You see, if we stay there, our lives and our goals and, and everything else we chase, so many other things we do, they're geared toward bolting toilets to the living room floor. The right effort in the wrong place. We work to get promotions and wealth and reputation instead of of seeing every aspect of our lives as a construction site where God is building. To view the entire world as your home. How bad do you want your kids to share your faith? Take that idea, translate it outside the home. How bad do you want everybody you work with, you hang around with, you do things with, how bad do you want them to share your faith? To see the world as we see our homes and to see other souls as we see our children. We get lost in the busyness of raising our own kids and miss how often the Lord wants to bless us every day with even more spiritual children. I know that's hard to imagine for some of you. You could actually have more spiritual children than you have real children Brothers and sisters, when we, when we don't look at the world this way, when we, when we see things with such a small perspective, we are in great danger of our labor being in vain. We are in great danger of, of anxious toil and sleepless nights. Instead of, listen, instead of 
lives that are full of building projects that are backed by the architect of heaven and earth. Lives spent passing on to our spiritual children the, the legacy of faith and courage and hope and trust that we've received from our Father. And therefore, listen, since we're doing His work, lives that are full of rest and peace that the Lord wants to give us. These are the things the Lord wants to bless us with. He wants to bless us with the rest of knowing that, that we are being used as His instruments to build and to watch His house, the house that Jesus built. And He wants to bless us not only with physical children, but with the greater gift, with the greater heritage of spiritual ones. Spiritual children who are shot off into this world to continue that work of the Lord with their lives. The greater work of the Lord with their lives. You see, brothers and sisters, Psalm 127 is about so much more than just your house and your kids. It's about souls and kingdoms. Which is why we must live as instruments in the Lord's hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this gift of your word. I thank you for how you have used Jesus Christ to explode our understanding of your word. And I pray, Lord, that I pray, Lord, that your call on our lives would weigh heavy on us while simultaneously we would do that work abiding in you and it would be restful and peaceful. I pray, Lord, that we would be eager to do the big jobs that you've called us to do because we know you are the one that's building and you are the one that's watching. Father, I pray that you would give us a desire, a deep yearning for more spiritual children, for more who share our faith in you, who share our faith in a Savior who died for us and adopted us into his household. Father, it is only because of Him that, that we, can, we can think this way. It's only because of Him that we can have this rest and this peace that You have promised us. And so, Father, it is in His name that I pray. Amen.